What's going on, guys? Hope you're doing well. This is Austin, your host for the ad space today, and welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, then welcome to the community of preparedness, and we appreciate you being here. And I'm going to go ahead and jump into the sponsors that make this content free. And first up is Triarch Systems. Triarch Systems is the premier custom weapon builder. They make some of the best pistols and carbines that you would ever use. I know that the training side of the house, Fieldcraft Training, loves theirs, and they continue to use and abuse them and treat them like the tools they are designed for and keep coming back for more. So, guys, head over to triarchsystems.com, use code FIELDCRAFT, and it will save you 5% on your next build at triarchsystems.com. Next up is KC Highlights. I just went and hung out with all these guys, Ali and the gang, um, at the Easter Jeep Safari a couple months ago now, and we had a great time. The people there are fantastic, and they've been in the game for a really, really long time. They make lights for really anything you want to put them on, um, kind of the classic lights with that uh, yellow background and black smiley face. It's pretty iconic, but they also have um, lights that you could use on your ATVs, on your motorcycles, your boats, kind of really whatever you're looking for, they've got it. So head over to CaseyHighlights.com and use code FIELDCRAFT and it'll save you 10% your next purchase at KC Highlights. Next up is Haven Tents. So Haven Tents has been in the game for a little while now and they've been doing it right ever since. So. Uh, whenever you purchase a Haven tent, it comes with everything that you need. You can actually set this up either as a hammock or you can use it as a ground tent. And it comes with the hammock body, the rain fly, bug nets, the straps, the stakes, and the guy lines. Everything all in the bundle. And I've slept in this system quite a few times now. And I got to tell you, I'm a big fan. So head over to Haven Tents, check them out, and use code FIELDCRAFT. And it'll save you $20 on your bundle at haventents.com. All right, guys, so we're going to jump into the podcast for today. Hope you enjoy it and look forward to seeing you guys next time. Hey, guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast, and I'm your host for this episode, Kevin Estella. I'm the director of training here at Fieldcraft, and I'm joined today by a, a guest who is someone I've learned to respect over the years. Uh, we've got a lot of interesting connections, but... Uh, uh, I'll tell you, this guy is, it, this is going to be an interesting one. I am joined today, none other uh, than by, none other than Bill Rapier of Amtac Shooting, Amtac Blades, uh, Jack Carr fame. If you guys are fans of that book, then you know that the character of James Reese carries a Northman. Well, this is the guy that designed the blade. We're going to get into that. So, Bill, welcome. Kevin, thanks for having me on. Great to be here. Yeah, so you just you just flew in. Um you are in northern Idaho. That's where you do all your training. And you're now in beautiful Utah, another free state. Yes. So let's catch the listeners up to speed. Um, I know a lot of your background, but I want them to hear it from you. Um, you've got a very interesting background. And in terms of like where you lived, and it's partly because of your parents. So can you just kind of run them through like your, your family we'll, background? We'll take it all the way back. Yeah, cool. So... Uh, I moved to Germany when I was five years old. My parents were missionaries, so we lived uh, two different spots in Germany for a total of almost eight years. I uh, was thrown into a German kindergarten when I was five years old and uh, didn't speak a lick of German. And within a few months, spoke better German than my parents that had been studying for years prior to going over there. So did that, did, did all German schools through uh, K through sixth grade, then moved to the States, got to do about six months at, in a English, you know, an American school in Southern California. And then we moved to Swaziland, Southern yes. Africa. So that was awesome. I didn't really want to go when, when we left, uh, but really enjoyed it over there. Africa is just, it, it gets in your blood, especially Southern Africa. It's a beautiful place. So really enjoyed my time there. And then only spent about two years there. And then we moved to Colorado Springs and I, I went into you know, high school as a sophomore there. And so finished out the last three years of high school stateside and then uh, joined the military the day after 
uh, graduating from high school and then was in the Navy for the next 20 years. Right, right. And not just anywhere in the Navy. Uh, I mean, you're, I mean, what, what really sets you apart was you were a SEAL and you have a very, very interesting career with them. I mean, you, I know you, how you started and how you finished, but can you kind of give a, a little rundown of that? Yeah. So, uh, joined the Navy, went to Corman a school. So this is nowadays there's if everyone that is a seal, their, their rating is special operator. Uh, and that's only like a, maybe a 10 or 13 year old thing. Now, um, before that you had to have a seal source rating. So seal source rating, the, the one that I chose was Corman, which for all non Navy people is, uh, it's basically the, the Navy's version of a medic. And that was basically, I chose that not because I really liked medicine, but because it was my backup plan to, to try and not be on a, a boat. If I, you know, if I didn't make it through, because mm-hmm. you, when you just, when you look at the odds, most guys, you know, 70 to 80% of guys don't make it through buds. So I wanted, if at, at least as a corpsman, I could have gone with the Marines. So it was kind of backup plan. Fortunately, didn't have to fall back on that. So I went through boot camp, went through corpsman A school, and then showed up to Buds. I, I believe I checked in on Thanksgiving Day of 94, and they promptly told me, uh, what are you doing here? We'll see you on Monday, something <laughs> like that. Uh, so uh, I, it took me longer to get through Buds than most people. I... Failed out of, uh, in second phase, I failed the dive physics test, which a uh, somewhat embarrassing story that uh, I, I didn't fail it because I couldn't do dive physics. I failed it because I'd forgotten how to do long division and we weren't allowed to use a calculator. So uh, they ended up, so I got recycled by two months. I got put into a, uh, a remedial math course and it was, it literally started off this, this lady got in front of me and you know, seven or eight of my compatriots that, that failed with me. And, and she starts off, this is how you add. Wow. <laughs> Just super, super wow. embarrassing. But uh, she did teach me how to do long division again by longhand. Uh, so got back in, picked up with class 200, uh, ended up failing uh, the runs. I had a really hard time running after Hell Week. It was very, uh, still not really sure why. Pre-Hell Week, I never failed a a timed run never got gooned, which is kind of one of our expressions for if you fell back maybe more than about a third of the way from the front at the end of a conditioning run, they would, you know, one of the instructors would stand there with his hand and you'd see if the hand was raised, you knew the cutoff was coming and you better put out. And then at a certain point, you know, everyone that made the cutoff would get the stretch and everyone that didn't would have another 15 or 20 minutes of, you know, fun and games running through the surf zone and doing other silly stuff like that. So I never even had any of that pre hell week, post hell week. I couldn't run a 12 minute mile to save my life. So it was just, yeah, it was, it was embarrassing. And I got, I was getting beat a lot for, for that. Uh, so I got, uh, I was on day one of Drager dives, so I had already passed pool comp, which is kind of the you know Hell Week and pool comp are the two big things that that people wash out from in buds, and so I had I had passed pool comp and was getting ready to to do my first closed circuit dive, and I failed a time drawn that morning, and so I remember standing in front of the basic training officer, and he said, kind of had this weird voice, Rapier, you got two choices, and they're both bad. One of one of my options was cleaning bed pads at Balboa, the the local naval hospital, and he said the other is to go back to first phase. I said I'll take first phase, sir. Wow. So I I had to run over and uh, get white t-shirts again from from supply, which that that that's probably the most demoralizing thing because you know, one of your uh, after you make it through Hell Week, you get a brown t-shirt, and then you wear a brown t-shirt the rest of your career. And pre Hell Week, you wear a white T-shirt, and that's it's a big deal. Like within as you're going through training, uh, so I had to put that white T-shirt back on, and then so I went from day one of dragger dives to life-saving test. I think that's what I did that <laughs> afternoon. Uh, so, but it was actually ended up being a good thing because the pace of everyone's conditioning runs and the timed runs was such that I was able to to kind of catch back up and finished as one of the wouldn't say stronger runners, but probably top third 
uh, by, by the time uh, we finished up buds. So finished up buds and then I had, uh, since I was a corpsman, I went through our dive medical course and then drove out to uh, Army Jump School at Fort Benning, uh, also known as Navy Appreciation. Uh, did, did that for, uh, did that for the two or three weeks. I forget how long it was. Uh, and then checked in, to Fort Sam Houston, another army course, or it was the special operations medical course or the 18 Delta short course. So I got to be the part of the last course at, uh, at Fort Sam, which I was really happy about because Texas is infinitely better than Fort Bragg. Uh, so did that. And then, uh, graduated from there in I think it was summer of 96 and just drove drove straight out to SEAL Team 3 that was my first duty station uh, checked in there and got to pick right up with a uh, an STT class SEAL tactical training at the time it was all run in-house by, by each SEAL team and uh, I, I, again another cool thing it was we'd gotten word that a class an STT class had just started so a lot of guys just took leave. Uh, and I was like, well, I'm just going to drive out anyways and check in because I've got nothing else going on. And I check in with the, the the training senior chief and he goes, well, we started two weeks ago, but all we've done is medical. So you haven't really missed anything. Uh, so that ended up, that was great. Ended up putting me probably six months ahead of the guys that I had, I had just graduated with. It just allowed me to, to, to pick up and, and start doing training right away versus just sitting around and pushing a broom for uh, six months. So Got to do that, uh, got right into a platoon, uh, deployed on a, an ARG platoon, so an amphibious readiness group or uh, with the Marines, a couple, couple gator freighters. You sail all around the world as kind of like these, these little miniature strike forces. Uh, this is pre-war, so about the only thing going on was some you know, maritime interdiction stuff in the Northern Arabian Gulf, but nothing, not, you know, at the time we thought it was exciting. You know, looking back on it, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, that's something that's so really that's something that's really interesting about your career is that you spent some of it pre nine eleven, yes, and then of the vast majority of it was post nine eleven. So you got to experience both cultures of you know the war on terror and pre war on terror, and I think that's something that I mean it, it makes you very interesting as an individual, and also it. <laughs> It shows, you know, the growth that you had. And then also I've noticed like, you know, having gone to your courses and, and talking to you, like, I think that was a huge ramp up, obviously. I mean, you were ready to go. Uh, we can talk about readiness later, the concept of readiness. Um, but what was that like going from pre-war, like in your mind, what was that like pre-war to 9-11 happens to now different, different mission, different task? So pre-war, I mean, just to kind of set the stage, I remember when I checked into SEAL Team 3, I looked at some of the guys that were 18, 19-year guys, and they'd never done anything for real. And I was terrified that that would be me. I mean, I, I used to think, man, if I just get to do one real thing, then I can sit back and we can hang out and talk about it for the rest of our careers. And that's really how we looked at it is it'll be one big kind of, you know, Operation Eagle Claw type type thing that you would go out and do and then and then be done with it and kind of you know legendary status he was on that mission whatever mm -hmm. uh so that's kind of how we we thought about it and uh we'd done a little bit of work uh pre there was there was some stuff little things going on you know across the world but nothing nothing really to write home about and then 9-11 happened and I happened to be sitting on the quarter deck at uh dev group when when that happened uh I was filling in for a guy uh, and so watched the you know, phone start ringing off the hook. And, you know, of course, I'm an E5, maybe just made E6, you know, on, mm -hmm. on the quarterback, just transferring phone calls. And then I uh, went up to our team space and saw the second plane hit. And we're all like, yeah, we're, go we're going to war. And uh, just interesting how, like, even some of the senior, especially senior enlisted leadership at the time was like, I remember distinctly them saying we're not doing anything you know like the this will all be wrapped up in a couple months and uh man they couldn't have been more wrong on on that one here 20 years later now and and things are still yeah we used to say that going. we used to say that you know vietnam was america's longest war you know talking about early cia involvement and then eventually you know fall of saigon but i mean this war on terror has eclipsed that and i mean <sighs> I don't know if you want to speak to this, but do you see an end to it? 
No, I think it's something that, and, and this is problematic for us as Americans because we want to look at the, you know, the, the big wins that we had, World War II, right? We cr- crushed the Germans, we crushed the Japanese. Um, they became our allies and they started making good cars and, you know, TVs and mm-hmm. whatnot for us. Um, and have very stable governments now and, and, uh, and they're, they're allies. Uh, so as Americans, that's kind of the standard that we want. And when we're fighting you know, radical Islam, that's, we just have to get that out of our heads. That's not going to happen. Uh, these people, they, they're not ready for, you know, Republican style democ- mm-hmm. democracy, right? Uh, they, they're not ready for that. And so, and they, they hate us. I mean, their, their stated goal is, you know, worldwide caliphate. And we just need to accept that it's, it doesn't matter how many schools we start over there. They're, they're always going to hate us. Uh, it's you know, more of the Israeli approach of cut the grass. Grass grows back, we cut it again. And that's just, that's just what we need to do over there. And we need to be ready to do that for, you know, for a long time. Yeah, Israel is, uh, <laughs> Israel is facing <clears throat> their own cut the grass issue right now. And uh, it's interesting to see how polarized this country has gotten over people defending themselves. It's crazy. It's absolutely amazing. But that brings us to, I mean, I know you have a colorful, colorful career. You've done some amazing stuff. I've heard you on different podcasts. You know, we're friends with Andy Stump. Uh, I've heard you on, on that one, and I've heard you talking a couple other times. And for a lot of people, I mean, there are a lot of people that will never... Maybe they're they're past the cutoff for military, uh, you know, selection into like SEALs or any of those programs. They they couldn't do what you did. But what I think is really interesting about you is when you left the military, and you started your company, you told me one time you're like, I would rather teach Americans, like civilians, how to be better prepared, ready, than to teach military guys. And I was like, okay, this is really interesting. And you you had a few reasons why. I want to really focus on that because this is this is how we met. Uh, you know, our our connection. If you guys are wondering, uh, you know, I train in Sayak Ali. Bill is trained in Sayak. Uh, two on Tom Kyer connected us. Uh, eventually, that led to you know Bill and I talking at our, a couple of our family gatherings, and then uh, me heading out to Bill's place and and seeing what he does, you know, in his property firsthand. And it's, it's pretty incredible. So let's talk about AMTAC shooting because this is where I think a lot of people can pick up where what, what you're doing and, and kind of help with that collective fight for, for the good. So our, our mission statement with, with AMTAC shooting um, was to prepare good Americans, you know, to help good Americans to be able to protect themselves and their families better, to basically to, to train them to be able to do that and, and every aspect that comes with that. Uh, I do enjoy, you know, I, I like training military guys. I like training cops right. as well. But uh, the reason why I do, I, I really do enjoy teaching civilians is uh, guys are eager to learn. And, you know, with, with mil- military guys and with cops, sometimes, you know, there's, I mean, there's, and there's, there's both ends of the spectrum with this. There's guys that are into the training and there's guys that are, that it's just, it's part of their job and they have mm-hmm. to do it. That is, that basically doesn't happen on the civilian side. The guys are, they had to spend their own money to get there. They had to do their own research ahead of time to figure out what tools to bring. Um, so, so every aspect of it. So they're just like, and they, they show up and they want to train. And uh, I've actually had to modify what I do now that I've, I've been doing this for a little bit longer and, and realized that not everyone likes staying till 730 at nighttime. Like I, I, I try to actually shut things down now sometime between 430 and 5 because I used to just think, well, everyone wants to just keep training right, and like, right. we'll just, we'll, you know, we'll, I'm not going to be the limiting factor. If we're going to train till seven 30, like we're just going to keep going. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little bit more polished as, as, as things go on because people do have, uh, you know, a life and, and probably dinner plans and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, I, I really enjoy doing that. I've, I've made a lot of friends since starting this, uh, you being one of them, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just, it, yeah, it's turned into a really cool thing where now it's like little mini reunions. All the, you know, we've got about, I don't know, 12 or 14, maybe 15 locations that we have across the country that we go to and we, and we put training on. And it's, it's overwhelmingly repeat students. Um, so it, it's just, it's cool you yeah, know, I to mean, see those guys and, and see their progression and be able to kind of counsel and, okay, man, you're doing good in this. Now it's time to 
to, to here's another door. Right. And, and something that, that I think is really interesting. I, I just saw you last weekend at the, the modern warrior conference and it was cool because I've been to a couple of your things and I've seen a couple of the guys that are there and one of them actually moved mm-hmm. near you and, and you're right. It is like a family reunion. The courses that you offer are really interesting because they're, they're applicable. And I like that you have standards for, for fitness. Uh, I still have the screenshot where you're like, Hey, baseline, every good American should know how to do X, Y, and Z. Here's the advanced. Here's the, you, you joked about it last week in the, the Jedi the Jedi yeah. standards, right? Jedi level. Yeah, yeah. Jedi level. But uh, let's, let's talk about that because I find that fascinating. I brought it up on a podcast, but I want people to hear it directly from you. So what, what do you think are some of the standards? Maybe not specifics, you know, off the top of your head, but like, what do you think the average person should know how to do? So when it comes to, I, I guess I, I would break it a little bit apart into fitness and then, and then combatives. Um, we can start with the fitness. Uh, I mean, there's basic stuff like, hey, you should be able to run a mile probably until you die. Um, you should be able to sprint, you know, hundred yards or 200 yards. Uh, you should be able to swim, you know, a couple hundred yards, tread water, save someone's life, deadlift mm-hmm. your own body weight, climb over a wall. You know, I mean, to, to me that that's just some basic stuff that, uh, it doesn't matter how much you are or are not into fitness. Like your, your life will probably be better if you can do all those things. Right. I mean, think about if you, if you can't do those things and your kid wants you to go out inside and play catch with you, you know, or wants you to go on a, on a hike with them, you may or may not be able to do that. Right. For, right. for the people that are, are carrying, you know, too much extra weight, they might not be able to do that. So, uh, so I think there's, there's that on, on like it's on its most basic level. And then we can, you know, we cycle through the, uh, you know, the different levels of responsible armed citizen, follow me level, modern Minuteman level, and then advanced or Jedi modern Minuteman <laughs> right, level, right? right. Um, and then we kind of, we start getting more into the tactical side of things. So as, as, as I get guys to, to train, I always want to do pistol skills with them first because it is the most applicable. Uh, that's one of the things that, you know, when we would have an Intel brief prior to going on a mission, the intel guy would say, okay, most likely enemy course of action is this. Most dangerous enemy course of action is this. Always start, when, you know, as, as we're talking about readiness, always start with most likely enemy course of action. You learning how to run a carbine well and shoot and have a plate carrier on and a battle belt on and all that stuff, that's great. But things have to progress significantly before we're at that level. I mean, that's basically like civil war or like mass unrest. If if you're putting your armor on and you're going right, into your right, right. neighborhood like that versus right now there's random violence happening across the country. So having, you know, number one, heightened awareness, you know, heightened awareness, both our situational awareness, uh, you know, within that 25, 50 yard bubble, but then also intel awareness as in, hey, people are going crazy in this part of town today. Don't go there. Uh, so we, we, we start off with that, and then it would be get a pistol and be first off, we need to be safe with it because again, we mm-hmm. go from from most likely to least likely, even if you carry a gun every day, it's very unlikely that you're actually going to use it. But if you right. decide you're going to carry a gun every day, you're handling your pistol at least twice a day when you get up in the morning and when you go to bed at nighttime. So if you to say every every morning when you get up and you charge your pistol, you've never thought about, well, I'm pointing it into a wall, but my kids are sleeping on the other side of that wall. Every morning when you load your pistol, you're actually endangering your family. So number one, we have to be 100% safe with our tools. This needs to be, right, this should be something that is enhancing to us. Um, after we can make sure that we don't make the gun go bang when we don't want it to go bang, right? After we have that down, now, you need to conceal your pistol. You need to have a clean draw stroke from concealment, right? That that's the you know combatively that is the biggest bang for your buck. Heightened awareness. Don't shoot yourself, and mm-hmm. then be able to have the pistol hidden on you at all times and be able to get it into your hands quickly, even if you're not a great shot. And there's no I'm not giving people leeway to not train. I mean, obviously this is what I do, but just in in the big picture. Even if you're not a great shot, if, if you can, if you have heightened awareness, you cannot shoot yourself and you can produce a pistol quickly, man, you've, you, you have the potential to solve a lot of problems. 
after that, the next thing that I would say, and, the, and the, these are two, they're kind of neck and neck. Um, so we'll throw the one that is less common out first. Other strong hand only blade deployment and targeting. Uh, and this comes from you know our common background within Sayakali. Uh, and the blade is the, one of the most underutilized tools in the you know the firearms training community. People think, oh, you're some sort of like you know we're you oh yeah. you're a ninja because you carry a knife. Uh, it, as soon as you have the ability to deploy a lethal tool with either hand, you become an order of magnitude harder to deal with. And I, I know this because I, I teach people all the time and they go for, it's, it's really easy to control one hand. It's really, and I'm a grappler as well, right? I've been mm -hmm. grappling for shoot. I mean, I wrestled in high school and then I've been doing jujitsu since early Oh one. So yeah. And like, for the folks that don't know, you're a, uh, <clears throat> Gustavo Machado black belt, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. One, one stripe under Gustavo in, in Virginia beach. Uh, so obviously I, you know, I, I can, you know, I have some reps of moving people around and controlling stuff. And I will tell you, it's an order of magnitude harder to control people if they can deploy a lethal tool with either hand. So understanding, you know, one handed draw stroke of your blade and then understanding where to put the blade and what to do with the post penetration after you put it in, what do you do with the blade afterwards? Um, so that would be number two or tied, tied with number two. The other number two would be combative weapons retention shooting. So contrary, you know, most weapons retention shooting is shot off of a rock back where you're, you're leaning back, you're getting your other strong hand out of the way and you're pulling your pistol out. Uh, if you realize that a lot of times when you are in, I mean, the only reason you're doing that is you're in the fight. So that means you're in stand-up grappling ability. You might screw it up and put the slide into your chest, in which case, you know, the gun's going to be a one-round dead man's gun, or you might get some clothing involved in it. And again, you might get a few shots or you might only get one shot. Or the other guy might be pushing your pistol out of battery and you might get zero shots. Uh, so as soon as you recognize that, hey, you're actually in a fight, this isn't just I'm, I'm doing firearms training now. No, I'm doing combatives training. I'm doing fight training right now. I just happen to have this amazing device invented by Gaston, Gaston Glock <laughs> that, that throws these projectiles really fast. I mean, people have been fighting with projectiles for a long time. Started sure with have. rocks, you know, and then atlatls and then arrows. And, you know, then we got black powder and, you know, we just keep progressing. Now we've got these amazing tools that, that fit on our hip and, and then we can hide, right? So if, if you recognize that, hey, I'm actually just fighting with a projectile weapon right now, then maybe I shouldn't be leaning back, right? If, if you said, well, what if this wasn't a firearm in my hand? What if this was a club, a really expensive gun-shaped club in my mm -hmm. hand? would I still stand the same way? So the way I teach it is off of a spear elbow entry where I'm basically, I'm stepping in and I'm, you know, I'm either uppercutting elbow, spear elbowing or shield elbowing on my way in. And, and it's a beat in time. It, it allows me to buy a little bit of time to pull my pistol out. And if my pistol says no, then it, it keeps buying me time as I do other things, either transitioning to a collar tie or crossbody check or other elbows, uh, but it just, it, it buys me time. So th those are the kind of the top four things. Heightened awareness, number one, uh, or six things. Heightened awareness, number one, um, being 100% safe with your tools. And then uh, clean draw stroke from concealment. Other strong hand only, blade deployment and targeting. And then combative weapons retention shooting. If we have those things, man, you become an order of magnitude harder to deal with. And then obviously we'll, we'll work on you know, being able to shoot, you know, very accurately at distance and being able to shoot fast. And, you know, all those things are very, very important, but they are less important than, than those top couple things that we talked about. So that's where I would like to start with the guy. Mm -hmm. And we have five different flavors of pistol courses now. We've got our actual responsible armed citizen course, which is mostly uh, pistol fundamentals and a little bit of intro to combatives block and a little stress course thrown in at the end and then we have our integrated combatives course which is has the most teaching you where where to put the blade what to do with it um we still have some pistol fundamentals and then we also have some empty hand stuff teaching basically headbutts knees and elbows a little bit of standing up a little bit of staying on your feet um and then combining it all in the integrated combatives so being able to go from striking to 
if my right hand is busy, the blade comes out first, you know, obviously distance dependent. If my left hand is busy, my pistol's coming out first. So that's integrated combatives course. Then we had guys starting to ask for, hey, can we do something that pressurizes this? Excellent idea. Now we have the force <laughs> on force course where uh, basically we, we just have guys, you know, pick up their own uh, airsoft pistols. And for the guys that, you know, think, oh, it's airsoft. I have UTM pistols as well. It's about the same. It re honestly, yeah. it's about the same. It's just significantly cheaper um, to run airsoft stuff logistically. It's, it's a lot easier to make that happen. So uh, with the force on force class, we still work some fundamentals of pistol and, and we also teach hard skills with, with blade and a little bit of combative stuff. Uh, but then we, we pressurize some situational drills. So we'll deal with, with the charger. What, you know, what do you do if either a guy's charging you or weapon is pointed towards you? versus weapons pointed away from you, still lethal threat that maybe someone in your family, like how do we do pattern recognition, which is huge, huge for being able to um, make complex decisions faster is we, the way we do that is by, we think about it ahead of time and then mm -hmm. we rep it, right? If we're students of violence, we rep these things ahead of time. We, we watch it, we study it so that when it happens, we go, oh, it's this bang. And then you, you act right away. Um, so we have that class then Guys were asking for a low light class. So we have a low light tactics class that is shot from day into night. Generally, I do those in more of the winter, fall months because we start at about noon. We'll do, get a good solid daytime shooting block in about three and a half, four hours of daytime shooting to include a bunch of holding a flashlight in your hand. And then we move into shooting at nighttime. And it's sometimes I think that that, that course should be renamed uh, you're going to buy a weapons mounted light after this course, <laughs> because part of what we do is, I mean, I, I, I show all the different ways of, of holding a flashlight in your hand and shooting. And you should absolutely, even if you carry a weapons mounted light, you should know how to manipulate your tools and shoot with a handheld light at, in, in conjunction with, um, but then we shoot drills. Okay. And I, I'll, I'll lay out a course of fire. Okay. Go ahead and shoot it with the, the, the flashlight in hand, grip mm -hmm. of your choice, go. Okay, that took you 25 seconds to do. Now do it with both hands on the gun. Oh, that took you 15 seconds to do, or 17 yeah, seconds you, to do. <laughs> it's about a third faster for guys, and they're also more accurate. Uh, so it, it really, it's a, it's a no-brainer. If you if you carry a pistol, you you know, the, our, the lights are getting so small now, you should have a light on your handgun. It's just, it's what you should do. That also does not give you leave not to carry a handheld flashlight as well. Yeah, I've heard stories of guys uh, actually directing traffic with their pistol-mounted lights in one municipality. One of my instructors from another school we won't mention said that uh, he was training some some guys and they were directing traffic, and it was uh, probably not a good idea to do that. It's one of the things that gets me fired up when I see if I see videos of, of law enforcement guys doing that. It's like, man, that is that is negligent right there. You should not be. You should you shouldn't be doing that. Um, so that's low light course. And then uh, last year in Connecticut, I'm sitting around with one of my buddies uh, who's a cop. And then uh, another buddy of mine that we refer to as Northman Actual. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and we're talking smaller pistols. And so one of my buddies, the, the cop buddy, he goes, you know, we're talking 43Xs specifically. And he's like, yeah, yeah, bro. He's like... When I have to compromise carry, that that's what I carry, and I'm like immediately I'm like, oh, this is this is a thing, and then and so for the next two hours we talk through what is a what is a pistol course look like with a smaller pistol, and we th you know, at first I was like compromise carry, and then the more I thought about it, I'm like that's like saying weak carry, correct, you know, so yeah. so we threw that out right away, even though it's like I it like I knew what he meant right away because it is a little bit of a compromise. To, to carry a smaller pistol. So basically we, we, man, with those, with, with the 43 X's and the shield arms magazines, and then with the, the SIG 365s and 365 XLs and, and a dot on there and a light on there, you've got pistols that have an amazingly small footprint that you can still get some work done. Uh, I'm constantly surprised at how easy a 43 X is to shoot. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I run 
20 i run the shield arms mags with with the extension as my pocket reload so really i'm giving up about two or three rounds total my normal is a, a g45 with 17 in the gun and then another 21 round reload in my pocket so i'm giving up about three rounds total when i do this and have you had any issues with those with those mags where uh <clears throat> um where you found that the metal mags on the um magazine release do they cause any wear because i know people talk about that so they if you look on their website they recommend they sell an aluminum magazine release yes um so i just on on, on all of my 43x's i just swapped it out and and put put those in there because that, that's what they recommend they say that over time the recoil will, will cut into your uh your factory uh your factory mag release. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have the first, uh, what is it? The first, I think the first time I used those magazines, I did have a, a couple feeding issues with it, which generally like if I have any feeding issues with, with anything, you know, gun related, I mean, I'm spoiled. I shoot Glocks. They work all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I generally discard it, but for 50% more rounds, I'm like, I'm going to keep going with this a little bit. And I've had zero issues since then. So there might actually be a little bit of a break in period with those magazines. But, uh, so basically with that, with the low vis pistol combatives course, so that's our, that's our new course for, for this year. It is basically, what if you have to go into an environment where, uh, where you have to carry a smaller pistol or it's either carry a smaller pistol or don't carry a pistol. And, and again, like I don't, I don't carry the 43X unless I have to go into that environment. I'm you know, one of our mentors, Tom Kyer, you know, one of the things he said a long time ago was full-size man, full-size gun, right? Get, get a get the, the the gun that you can shoot the best and then dress for it. I've really taken that to heart, right? I, I was carrying a G17, now I carry a G45 um, 100% of the time, unless I'm going someplace where it, it matters and and I need to carry a smaller pistol. So the idea with this, with the low-vis pistol combatives course was, hey, let's do a class with the smaller pistols, with something that you don't normally shoot. Uh, and then we, we talked through like pocket pistols as well. I actually do a demo during the class of um, going hot l- left-handed through, through a jacket, <laughs> um, which is kind of cool. Uh, but it's very like, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely a legit, you know, something that, that, that can be done, um, can increase your readiness level by, yeah. by having that. So, um, so that's been kind of a cool course. We also do more, uh, we do a whole block on combatives in a reduced freedom environment. So if you have some, uh, if you're, if you're a place where you can't have purpose-built tools, what are the, what are the tools that you can use that can be very effective? You mean like, uh, two on Harley Elmore's love for fixed weapons like this table that we're talking uh, behind right here yeah absolutely um you know it's funny you you talk about uh you talk about shooting through clothing and 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 whatnot and i remember when i was on that integrated combatives class that you had up in maine uh you know up at northman actuals uh i remember you were walking the line and i had drawn my pistol from inside my shirt and i screwed up my garment clear and I looked at you and I'm like, Bill will be upset at me if I just don't fight through the things. I put around right through that shirt. I think I still have that shirt somewhere kicking around. But yeah, I mean, I think people need to experience that controlled conditions, right? Because you don't want to experience that for the first time when it's the first time. Like, like whether you can experience it mentally, ideally physically, um, you should understand that your pistol will still fight through. And also like like what happened with mine was it, I shot through it, the barrel went through my shirt, and then I punched the pistol through through the shirt, and it, it got back into action. Um, but I think the flagship class that you have, the one that's like, it, it's just badass. It's my favorite thing that I've, I've seen you do is the the Minuteman class. Um, and I think it's partially because, you know, I'm a history guy, and I like the idea that, you know, good Americans were able to be ready at a minute's notice and and walk a great distance. And that class, for those of you that don't know, it combines radio communications, navigation, uh, you know, it's rucking, it's fitness, it's combatives, it's it's the whole it's the whole gamut of all the skills. Um, and people always ask me, and this is the question I want to get to, because it's one that I'm sure people are going to wonder: What gear does Bill carry? Because I know that 
you're a fan of the Glock 45, right? Uh, you're a red dot guy. Uh, I know I've seen it firsthand what red dots can do, and I'm slowly going to work my way towards, you know, red dots and pistols. Um, but the other stuff, um, and at some point in, in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you kind of rapid fire questions that I got from folks on, on Instagram because they were, I, this should be about them too. But what, what's your daily carry like? So first off, uh, you know, again, concentric circles before we get into modern minute, man, we got to go with, well, first off, what's my responsible armed citizen loadout? So I run a, a G45 with, I'm currently running a Hollis Sun 509T. I ran a, an, an Aimpoint Acro for about a year and a half. Uh, they're good. I broke two of them. I haven't broken the 509 yet. The 509 is 200 bucks cheaper and it's got a circle dot option and the battery lasts a lot longer. So I'm, I'm leaning towards that optic. Uh, and I run a Surefire XC2 light laser on there. Uh, my thoughts on the, the light laser combo is if, if I'm turning a light on, there's no downside to having a laser on there. And there is some upside that, that comes with that. I run all that in a Black Point Tactical FO3 holster. Uh, the FO3 holster is kind of our collaboration design with, with Black Point. Uh, so that holster is specifically designed to be worn slightly 4 to 3 o'clock. Uh, which is what I found to be the best compromise between speed and accuracy and combative ability. Uh, so th that's what I'm running there. Other strong side, I'm running a Magnus, uh, Amtec Blades Magnus in my pocket. I normally run a Northman. You know, now I may end up running a Minuteman for, for a while as well. We'll, we'll see. Um, you know, there's pros and cons to both of it. Some of the finer work that the Northman is better for. Um, it's definitely, you know, kind of disappears in your hand a little bit more. Um, but if you are looking at kind of more, more dual use, uh, you know, that Minuteman, a little bit bigger handle is nice. A little bit bigger blade is nice. Uh, then I will run, uh, generally I always have a lighter in my pocket because even though I have ferro rod, you know, two different ferro rods mm -hmm. on my, on my various sheaths on my blades, uh, you know, sometimes an actual flame starts a, a fire faster, especially if it's good conditions uh, outside. You, know, you might as well just use use a Bic lighter. Uh, I carry a generally I carry a, one of the Magpul 21 rounders in my left side pocket, along with uh, Surefire Stiletto Pro. I've really enjoyed that flashlight. Uh, kind of being in the mill, really didn't like anything rechargeable because you wanted to just you know swap swap batteries out in the field. But this is, I'm not in the military anymore, and I carry, a, I think I have two 10,000 milliamp hour batteries with me mm -hmm. just on this trip. So that's just a normal thing. So, and guys are used to plugging in their phones at night. So plugging in a flashlight once a month uh, <laughs> is good. It actually ends up saving you money because uh, we'll contrary to what most military guys yeah. think, uh, the 3-volt the lithium batteries are not actually free. <laughs> they, they cost money. Uh, so uh, that's what I carry there. Then uh, I carry an RMT tourniquet. Uh, that's That's been a growth thing for me. You know, seven, eight years ago, I wasn't carrying a tourniquet all the time. Now I carry a tourniquet 100% of the time. Uh, weather appropriate clothing, you know, good, good, solid footwear at all times, and then weather appropriate clothing for where you are. So that would be my baseline layer. Like, I'm not leaving my house without all of that. Then when it comes to Modern Minuteman, first off the Modern Minuteman load, I look at really somewhere between 25 and 32 pounds. That That's the load where it doesn't slow you down a whole lot. Right? Without so, water, right? No, that, would with, be with, that would be with water. See, that's so impressive because when people talk, they're like, oh, my pack's 35 pounds. Dry? And oh yeah, well I add water later. It's like well it's not really a thirty-five pound pack. Yeah, so it gets, it gets a lot. It gets a lot heavier. And now where we live up, you know, inland Pacific Northwest, we have a lot of water, so I can get by carrying less water um, than say someone that lives down in in the desert of Arizona mm -hmm. or the desert out out in out here, right? High desert out here can get can get water can get sparse as well. Uh, but basically, it's yeah. Could you carry more stuff and? Sure, but you can move a lot faster and still be functional when you show up. And also, we're you know we're talking about this is modern Minuteman stuff. This is not uh, Ranger Battalion or you know SF or SEALs or you know infantry guys or Marines. This is I want you know I want an an average you know a guy that trains. I want an average guy that, that comes train and trains with me to be able to get to this level to do this. And I think there's there's a, you know, 
If you can do modern Minuteman skills, you are absolutely an asset to your community. Um, I know when I have that, that modern Minuteman-ish loadout on my back, my skiing ability does not decrease, right? Uh, my speeds at rucking really don't decrease. Um, when I get up to into the 50 or 60 pound range, it absolutely decreases oh, sure. and skiing yeah. is harder. And then when I jump up to my once or twice a year, 90 to 100 pound ruck, like it's, you know, you're just suffering and you're moving a lot slower. Uh, so it's, it's good to do those other weights and, and to, you know, to, to know what they are, but, uh, uh, stay in that, in that lighter range the majority of the time, you know, bump it up to 50, 60 every once in a while to make sure that your, your body remembers that, that a 25 pound ruck is actually really light. Uh, and then carry, so and then carry the tools that, that you would need in there. So I, you know, starting with basic stay alive stuff. So that could be in, in the winter time, it might be a two pound, uh, uh, down bag you know, with, with a bivy sack, uh, or in, in the summertime, it might be a, a one pound synthetic bag, or I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm really moving towards going a lot more down. Uh, yeah. Cause all the down now is treated with down tech yeah. and it's, it's, it's not like the down of 20 years ago that yeah. it gets wet and you're screwed. Like this stuff actually sheds water like Primaloft. It, yeah. It's impressive. And weight and size wise is so I mean it's just impressive like I've kind of gone down some rabbit holes with uh, uh, in prep for the Wind River Highline route this year of, of just going crazy light with everything and I think I've got a Sea to Summit 28 bag and it's just over a pound for a 28 wow. degree bag now it's it's translucent in parts so we'll, <laughs> we'll see um but it, I mean, you can just, you can go so much lighter with it. And then especially if you are talking modern Minuteman stuff, well now I have to carry a radio. I have to carry four or five magazines with me. I need a rifle in my pack. You need all these other things. Um, it, it allows you to, you know, just make sure your stuff is in a bivy sack or in a, in a garbage bag or something like that. So it actually stays dry. All right, guys, we're gonna interrupt your podcast for just a second and talk to you about our sponsor, Athletic Greens. It's really difficult in the grind, the, the everyday grind, to maintain an effective, healthy diet. And the type of diet that we would promote here at Fuelcraft Survival, which keeps us getting out and exploring. And even if it's just due to poor sleep, lack of exercise, stress, or really just the lack of eating good, healthy foods, it can leave us really deficient in a lot of the key nutrients that we need to help our body to keep thriving. And this is where Athletic Greens can help. It's a life-changing nutritional habit that you just can add to your daily life. I know Kevin uh, Estella has been using it daily and has been dropping weight like crazy, preparing for an upcoming backpacking trip that he's doing with the guys down at Kafaro. And I've been using it as a meal replacement when I go out on classes, when I'm out in the field and I don't have time to grab a quick lunch or anything. I'll just drink one of those packets. And I've actually added a couple of those packets to my search and rescue backpack. So that way, whenever I'm out on a long extended call, uh, I have that quick access to some nutrients and use it as a meal replacement in that way. It includes 75 vitamins and minerals and a whole food sourced ingredients, including multivitamins and a focus with aid and digestion and supports a healthy immune system. And now I can get all that just in that one pack and I don't have to actually worry about taking a uh, and fiddling with a whole bunch of different pills and other supplements. I just get it all in that one pack. And they're offering an awesome deal for the Fuelcraft Survival Podcast listeners, which is free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase when you visit the link down in the show notes. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash fieldcraft, join the health experts, the athletes, and the health-conscious go-getters out there in the world and make that commitment to your health every single day. Just again, simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash fieldcraft and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. All right, guys, back to Kevin and Bill. So, Bill, there's there's obviously a lot of stuff that we can talk about. Um, and we could talk for hours and hours and hours. I want to I want to get to some uh, kind of rapid fire questions that earlier today I asked uh, on Instagram. I'm like, hey, Bill Rapier is coming to town and I'm going to be podcasting him. And my phone has been blowing up the entire day with people that have questions for you. And this is as much about them as, as it is about me, you know, 
catching up with you. Um, but I mean, you can see all the questions that I've gotten. Um, so let me, let me, yeah, so (laughs) let's, let's do some short answers to these questions and, uh, I'm going to try to get to as many as possible, um, without, you know, running out of space on that memory card. So if you guys are wondering, uh, why there might've been a break right there, it's, well, we, we have a lot to talk about. So, all right. Number one, uh, let's see. Okay. Uh, let's go with this one. Would love to hear opinions on different knife blade styles for self-defense. This came from uh, Cameron, Cameron's Stout Outside. So opinions on different knife blade styles for self-defense. You want a blade that will thrust, number one. Uh, in, until you get into sword level or you know, sword length, you know, cutting you know, so basically short swords, um, you're not going to get something that's going to cleave. So penetration is, is king. Um, so a lot of guys will look at a blade and they think that a good blade is a sharp crowbar, i.e. something that you can pry with and use as a screwdriver and then it also cuts. Um, well, if you, I guess if you need a sharp crowbar, that might be your definition of a good blade. Um, I, when I was working, I carried a screwdriver and a dagger because if I needed to use a blade, I wanted to be able to, to stab someone. And if I needed to pry, I would use a screwdriver to pry with. Uh, now that I'm, you know, with Amtec blades, we do a little bit of kind of multi, multi-faceted, right? I, I never, in a blade, I never want to give up something that is going to thrust that I can use as a weapon. Um, but with some of our blades, we also want them to work backcountry as well. Um, therefore, I, I prefer the single-edged blades because I could batten with it. Uh, I can do some of the more cap, camp chore type stuff. Uh, with it, but again, overall, like I want something with, you know, a three inch to five inch blade or, you know, longer if you can carry it. Uh, and it needs to be able to thrust. Perfect. So I would, I would have said the same thing, except for the whole seal thing. Cause I wasn't a seal, <laughs> um, advice for new dads, especially on teaching kids resiliency and survival skills. This comes from a, uh, handle called grail tool. Yeah. Get, spend the time with the kids. Take the kids out and go camping with them, even if it's if it starts off in your backyard or if it starts off. Hey, we're not, you know, I didn't used to even think that camping involved. If, if you're car camping, it wasn't really even camping, but it, it might be car camping for a while, then it might progress to like, hey, we're in an ATV someplace, and then and then eventually, like the kids just get used to it. It's it's not a big deal for them, you know, you know, putting their ground pad out and sleeping bag and whatnot. So just get out there and and, and do the reps with them. Make it fun for them if, if the kids are freezing cold or miserable or they were super tired going into it. It's not, it's not fun for them. Like as, as a dad, it's so important. Keep it, you know, make sure they're having a good time. If, if you want them to enjoy this stuff, make sure they're having a good time doing it. Uh, food is also another really good oh, one. Yeah. Make sure you have special treats when you're taking your kids out because they love that stuff. Okay, this comes from a guy called Bear Jaw. Hybrid carbine discussion. Hybrid carbine. So very quickly, hybrid carbine, we, we started off with, with a recce rifle, or now what I call true recce. And it was basically the gunsmiths at our work were just taking normal Colt M4s and slapping you know 16-inch Lalja barrels on them, putting uh, Reed Knight free float tubes on the thing. Um, and then at, at the beginning of the war, there was a mix of loophole and night force scopes. And then pretty much it, it, it became all night force two and F to tens. So that's a true recce rifle. Uh, shoot. I, when Vortex came out with their one, their HD two, one to six, that was game changing right there because it was a, uh, true one power with a daytime visible red dot and mill hash marks in the thing. So with that's basically what I coined that, that term hybrid carbine around is so with, with a hybrid carbine, I, I would define that as it could be a 16 inch gun. It could be, you know, 11 and a half inch pistol or SBR, uh, but with a either one to six, uh, one to eight, or now one to 10 optic on there needs to have a daytime visible red dot needs to have true one power with a true hybrid carbine. I can make all the same times that I can with a red dot for all of my up close strike ready, low ready presentations. But then I can crank it up to six, eight, or 10 power and shoot, uh, I mean, the other two months ago at Altus, uh, 840 was the furthest target they had. So kind of cool that you can do that with, you know, with a, 
Oh, that was an 11 and a half inch pistol. <laughs> you know. Here's one for you from Berserk Pirate. How physically active is Bill now that he is out of the teams? Very. Uh, I mean, yesterday I ran six and a half miles in the mountains, <laughs> and then we had Father Son Ministry that night. So it was, I don't know, we didn't walk that far with, with a ruck on, but we were also doing navigation stuff. So in the, or in the evening, we were doing that. This morning, uh, I did eight rounds of, eight two minute rounds of boss, you know, boss route and calling out combos. Uh, and then, and then did the same thing with number three son, uh, holding pads for him. And then we just went through some calisthenics, a couple, couple half push up ladders, um, some stretching and some pull-ups and stuff like that. So it's the older you get, the more you actually have to be intentional about doing it. This one's from, I'm going to butcher this one. My Ezekiel top five books. And the, the Bible is in a class of its own. Uh, you can just make it easy and go to the Bible, and then and then <laughs> Jack Carr's four bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Greatest answer ever. Um, Death right. in the Long Grass would have to be in there as well. I mean, just to to do it justice. It's a great great read. Yeah, and, and there's so many. There's questions so many here. great books yeah. out there. Uh, in in case in case it doesn't get included, uh, what was the name of the Simo uh, Simo uh, Hailha? Yeah, he, and what was the name of his book or the book about him? Uh, there's a there's a couple books written by him. One is called The White Death. The White Death. Okay. So now I'm going to let you take a look at these questions and scroll through them because there's a lot, and there might be something there that kind of piques your interest, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. How does it feel being on deployments for a long time and does one lose their identity? No, I don't think you lose your identity. I think there's danger of allowing your identity to become something, uh, allowing your primary identity to be something that, that maybe under, uh, as you think about it, you actually wouldn't want that. So like I, I'm a Christian, Christ follower, most important thing in my life. Next most important thing would be husband, Next most important thing would be father and then work and, you know, country deployments, all that stuff is really a distant third or fourth to all of that. Um, if you allow, you know, operator, you know, mm -hmm. downrange or, you know, shooting instructor, or if you allow any of those things to become your primary identities, your life falls apart. You have to sit down and go, what, what is really most important in my life? And then structure your life around that. Um, I mean, that's people's lives fall apart because they get sucked into, they think, well, you know, making money is a good thing. Sure. We all need to make money, but is making money a good thing at the expense of not seeing your children ever? Right. No. Having your marriage fall apart. Yes. Yeah. All huge, huge things. So a great, great question. Uh, should one take slow calibrated steps when wanting to move out to the town or country? No, just do it. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> don't, uh, you know, we should be deliberate. We should be intentional about everything we're doing. Don't don't just move someplace without a plan. How how are you going to do it? Um, I mean, and I I love living in the country. I I hope I die in the country. Uh, it's been so enjoyable. Um, you know, living in a place where I can shoot off of my porch or out of my window and snowmobile and you know four wheel and all that stuff. I, I love it. Um, but you need to have a plan. It might be, okay, I'm going to, <clears throat> I need to shift my work or I need to maybe start a business in order to pay the bills. You, mm -hmm. um, you should be intentional and deliberate going into that. What are the cape position and backplating as mentioned in AMTAC article? Uh, so cape position is if you visualize throwing a cross elbow, and then instead of normally a cross elbow would end with the back of your hand by your ear, the cape position, I'm putting the palm of my hand on my shoulder. It's a position that a lot of times in, during integrated combatives as you're throwing punches, you may throw a left hand hook or a left cross elbow while you're drawing your pistol. And so then going to that cape position is a strong frame position, allows me to drive through my target as I am pulling my pistol out. Backplating is a term that I believe Kyle DeFore coined, or at least that's where I heard it. That's, that's who taught me. Yeah. Yeah. That, so credit where credit is due. Uh, 
on a Glock, there's a background, all the striker fired pistols, there's a backplate on the back of it. Backplating is look at your target, superimpose the backplate and pull the trigger. There is a distance, so I'm not actually using my sights when I'm backplating. There's a distance where that works. I just call it within backplating range and there's mm -hmm. a distance where you have to look at your sights. Uh, about five or six months ago, I was dry firing in my office and I'm like, huh, I wonder if, now that I'm running optics, I'm like, I wonder if I could drive or if I could backplate off of my optic. Started messing with that. Now I backplate off of my optic. It's better. I'm definitely not the first guy to, to think of doing that because I think 30 minutes after I figured out, I was talking to my host in Pennsylvania and he was like, oh yeah, the, the, uh, modern samurai project guys like he he's been yeah. talking about that forever i'm like cool that that's just, to me that shows uh that stuff is legitimate because if it is uh if you're on the path right grappling scrappling whether it's sambo flavor or mm -hmm. mongolian wrestling flavor or western you know western wrestling flavor uh boar hunting nods tips and tricks Honestly, it's a, it's a, going to be a little bit different. I mean, you know, get get night vision. Uh, the, the first night vision, tactically, I think the first night vision everyone should have is a PVS-14, and it should be helmet-mounted. I do recommend getting a ballistic helmet if if it's for, if, if you think you might use it for anything other than just hunting pigs at nighttime. Um, but honestly, like, the, the best way to hunt pigs is with the thermals now because you you set up on a tripod, and and you'll see a lot further. with The, the night vision is harder to see. Um, but it's still for, from a tactical perspective, I would go, uh, helmet mounted night vision first, uh, from a strictly pig perspective, I would go with a thermal first and us night vision would be the, the guys to, to go to for, uh, for night vision. Uh, and I know there's some ridiculous questions on there that I'm looking at you and I'm like, I, yeah, skip over that one. I know you're, you're just going to go over a handful of them, but, uh, let's do, let's do one more. Okay. Bill's thoughts on giving up alcohol and how much this contributed to his success. <laughs> okay, so uh, again, go, going back to primary uh, primary identity as a Christian, I became a Christian early on in my life, and I would say though that I was not very serious about my faith until probably like. 20, 21 ish, right in there. Like I went through a phase in high school where I drank a lot. Um, when I was going through buds and in my first platoon, I was definitely like, I wanted to be the frogmen that you read about in, in all of the, in all of the books. And they all drank a lot. I, uh, I was convicted of, of that. I remember very distinctly driving home, uh, from Colorado uh, on, on leave and, and just thinking doctrinally, I don't believe that you can lose your salvation, but if you would have looked at my lifestyle, you would not have been able to say this guy's a believer. So I just started praying and asking God to give me a desire to change. Uh, so fast forward, like God answers prayers and, and did start giving me a desire to change. I got plugged in with a church and, you know, the drinking went down, you know, a, a lot less, um, and then it, it kind of, you know, for, for years then after that, it was just kind of, you know, not, you know, I, I actually, I, I don't see anything wrong biblically with, with having a beer or two or a glass of wine or, you know, a, a drink, like the, the, what we're not supposed to do as followers of Christ is get drunk. And it, it's very, the Bible's very clear about that. Um, I haven't had any alcohol now for about a year and a half. And in part, that was just. You know, I, and honestly, like, I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a glass of wine or two. And that, that's kind of where it got to me. Cause I was, I was just getting headaches from, I was really enjoying IPAs. Mm -hmm. And about the time that I retired, I, I would have my normal, you know, one or two IPAs in the evening. I would just have these horrible headaches the next morning. And so I despise headaches. So that didn't take very many nights to me to just go, okay, I'm just going to stop, you know, having, you know, beer or two in the evening. Uh, but I, then, then I started, you know, in, enjoying a little bit of wine, you know, red wine in the evening. And I just, I don't know, maybe a year and a half, maybe a little bit longer ago than that. I just got to a point where I was like, I started recognizing that I, I feel like I was enjoying it too much. Even though I wasn't getting drunk, 
Um, but it was something, you know, we're not supposed to be dependent on stuff. And so I just think, and I'm not even saying I'm not going to have an, another, you know, glass of wine ever again in my life. But I think for me right now, it's better to not, um, you know, consume alcohol. But again, like I, I'm not like the, the, what we shouldn't be doing is getting drunk. You know, if you enjoy a beer or, you know, or two responsibly, like, you know, Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. So, like, I, I don't have an issue with that. I just think for me right now, it is better not to. Yeah. So, guys, there are some answers to your questions. Uh, Bill's approachable. I mean, obviously, he's got this this amazing career. He's doing really cool stuff. His classes sell out very quickly. We're actually hoping to, to bring Bill on board here to work with us in the near future. Um, I look forward to anything that Bill puts out, whether it's it's gear lists or it's his training regimen or, you know, it's photos of his skis over like a nasty precipice in Idaho. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's doing what what I, what I love to do. And, and he's, he's doing it right. Um, Bill, where can people find you? AmtacShooting.com, that is our training site. And then AmtacBlades.com is our is our blade business. Awesome. Well, you know where else people are going to find Bill? In about five minutes, we're going to go down the road to the hideout here in Heber, and we're going to get some serious, serious quantities of barbecue. So, guys, uh, I'm, to that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to waste any more time. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Please check out Bill's stuff. Continue to uh, check out our stuff, and we will... See you on the next podcast.